The following is a special presentation of the I'm So Sure podcast. This podcast contains copyrighted material, the use of which has not been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. We are making this material available in our efforts for educational and social purposes. We believe this constitutes a fair use of copyrighted material as provided for in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. In accordance with Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107, the material on this podcast is distributed without profit to those who have expressed a prior interest in receiving the included content. Shut up already! Damn! Hi, and thanks for downloading this episode of the I'm So Sure podcast. I'm Scott Benson. I'm Kevin Kelly. And this week we are celebrating Prince. Yes, we are, Prince. And we don't want to make this sad, although we're still reeling from it, as I'm sure the rest of the world is as well. We lost him on Thursday at the age of 57, and it was very unexpected. Um, We're going to find out more details soon, but I don't really want to talk about his death. I just want to talk about his life, his amazing creativity, and everything he put out there for all of us to enjoy forever. Well, we should um, discuss your love of Prince, your intense love of Prince. Um, we have talked about it on other episodes of the podcast before, and um, we've had many requests to do a Prince episode, but because... Prince's lawyers like to scour the internet of really anything having to do with Prince. We were dragging our heels on doing it because we're afraid that it could be removed. That's right. So what we're doing is I'm going to include some limited clips of some of his music on here. If for some reason it's taken down, I will just re-edit the episode and repost it without the musical segments included. Um... So, read, so if you're hearing this and there are no clips, that's why. Yeah, I read an interesting article yesterday about Prince's control and concern for his music on the internet, and I completely respect his stance. He, rightly so, believes that artists should be compensated for their music, their art, their writing, their performance, and all that stuff. Um, Which they absolutely should. They absolutely should. But he clamped down on it so hard, it was such a way, that I think it made him a little bit inaccessible unless you were seeking him out, which is unfortunate. And my big fear, now that we've lost him, is that if his music isn't readily available for um, streaming purposes and things like that, that younger people and new generations aren't going to look into him and they're not going to hear his incredible talent. Well, and it's always been a big issue on the 80s Grady's page on Facebook that um, we 
have never been able to have a Prince theme because even though he's got tons of videos, they're just not online. You can find some of them, but they're never on YouTube, hardly ever. They're always on other kinds of sites, and you really have to search to find anything, really. So, um, I don't know, maybe because of what happened, maybe things will change. And It's possible the, because exec the executors of his state might make some different decisions because and people really want and deserve to see everything he did at this point and there's a renewed interest in him i just read that um billboard magazine expects that his greatest hits is going to be number one on their top 200 album chart this next week so and he's got like something like I think he has three songs in the top ten on iTunes right now yeah, as well. Yeah, and several albums in the in the top ten on the iTunes album chart, too. So. I want to be your lover. So going back to the beginning of my experience with Prince, I remember seeing him perform on Saturday Night Live, and I hadn't heard his um, earlier radio hits like I Want to Be Your Lover or anything like that, but I remember thinking this guy is just really weird and really out there, but I thought he was kind of cool, but at that point I didn't follow popular music a whole lot. My first impression of him was in um, Song Hits magazine, not to be confused with Star Hits magazine, which we have talked about, which was a far exceptional publication. But Song Hits magazine came out every month, and it was printed on, like, this cheap... Like, the pages were almost like newspaper. It was like newspaper. And all it was was lyrics for songs. And it was in um, three sections. There was, like, a pop rock section, a soul R&B section, and then a country section. And... Usually I just concentrated on the first section of the magazine. But, um, you know, I would look at the other pages too. And I remember remember seeing the lyrics for Controversy. The photo of him, I was just really kind of like, well, what's this all about? And then I saw the video on MTV, which they really didn't play too many black videos at the time at all. And um, it kind of had this like new wave vibe to it that I really, really liked. And um, uh, I didn't buy it, though. I, didn't, I never saw like a 45. That's when I was really into 45s. And um, not albums as much. But um, the, the first 45 I ever bought by him was Little Red Corvette. So that was from 1999 that, that came out That's later. right. The first Prince album I ever bought was the album 1999. I remember when Little Red Corvette came out in 1999 single. I just played those all the time. And I was also secretly... Uh, tickled by the really X-rated lyrics of Let's Pretend We're Married, which was on that 
album as well. That's one of those songs that I'd be playing the album, and if my parents were around, I would have to turn it down or skip it to another song because I was afraid that they would try to censor it and take it away from me or something like that. Well, I remember when I got the album for 1999, um, staring at the cover, and my sister, who was a big fun subtractor, just was always, you know, just squashing everything that I liked, pointed out that um, the P in Prince on the cover of the album was like... A little phallic. Was... it, it it's a penis and balls and pubic hair. And she was just like, oh, you shouldn't have this. And I was just like, oh, whatever. And thank God my mom just was like, whatever, you know, well, like when, yeah, whenever my sister would say something like that, my mom would just roll her eyes. Like I remember when I wanted the 45 of um, Whip It by Devo, mm-hmm. um, I'd asked for it for Christmas And my sister's like, oh, no, you can't have that. So I got The Wanderer by Donna Summer instead, which I like that song. But my mom got so pissy that she went out and she bought me the whole Devo album. So shove that in her face. Yeah. So my mom, my mom was not about censorship at all. So like if she would have known about the content of Prince's album, she she just would have been like, it's fine, whatever. Yeah, my parents eventually shrugged it off because there was no hiding the adult nature of some of his lyrics when I first saw Purple Rain and with, you know, songs like Darling Nikki. Knew a girl named Nikki, I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with the magazine. How'd you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little Nicky grind. When you're, you know, under 17, you have to go with your parents. And I, my dad took me to go see Purple Rain. We were both blown away by it. I had already been listening to the album for, I think, a couple months. It had come out before the, yeah. uh, the movie came out. And then we took my mom to go see it, like, within a few days. Well, I got... I remember I had the 45 of When Doves Cry, and then I got the Purple Rain soundtrack on cassette. My friend Christy and I, we both bought it, and we were just, like, crazy for it. And um, my friend Carol, who listens to this podcast, so say hi to Carol. Hi, Carol. Um, she, um, well, actually, her name is Carly now, but um, that's a different story. But I still call her Carol. Carol would call me and ask me to play When Doves Cry into the phone because her parents were so strict and she she couldn't see the movie or any of that stuff. And she just, she really liked the very beginning of When Doves Cry and she would want me to play that into the phone. And then when I saw the movie, I had to like tell her everything that happened in the movie. But the first time I saw the movie was when I was on vacation with... The family that I babysat for, we had gone to Cape Cod, and so um, you really were like an au pair. You were like a traveling babysitter that went on. The well, vacation. it was they. They were having a big family reunion, and they wanted someone to 
um, take care of all the kids because there were there were seven kids. You there. were a child wrangler. So anyway, um, oh, it was fun. I loved Cape Cod, but um, there was one day when I just had had enough of everyone, and um, I didn't have to babysit. So I, I kind of um, escaped from the family, and I took a cab into the town where there was a movie theater, and I bought a ticket to go see Breakin', but I went to go see Purple Rain instead mm-hmm. because i was only, i had just turned 16 so i snuck i snuck in i didn't even have to sneak i just walked right into the theater and um i just i absolutely loved it mm-hmm. and that that was just that was a few months before i met you yeah it was in the summer before yeah we met at that when school picked it back up that fall my yeah. sophomore year and your junior year and purple rain was still playing at the theater it was still playing in fact i think i saw it at least eight times at the theater. And the last time I saw it, um, we had not seen it together and I knew it was playing at the second run theater. So I was like, Oh, we need to go see that together. And so I remember got into the car, which I would soon get the next year when I got my driver's license, but it was my mom's car, Chevy Chevette beige. She drove. And then we went with, um, our friends, uh, our friend Linda, who also cut our hair and her daughter, Melissa. And I remember, um, they made Melissa get in the in the hatchback part of the car, and that was tiny. It was tiny, and I was like, "Well, she can sit up here with us," but but they're like, "No, just she can get in the back." Well, lucky little, she did not have any creepy. trauma from that. So, and we've mentioned Melissa several times because she listens to our podcast, and so. she was probably a little too young to see Purple. Right I at the time. I don't even know if she remembers that story of us going. So. Surely she does, because she loves Prince. She's the one that was, has been pushing for us to do a Prince episode more than anyone. So yeah, at that point, Purple Rain cemented Prince and um, my all-time favorite artist. So immediately I set forth to collect as many things by him as I possibly could get my hands on. He became my Duran Duran, like for Kevin. Yeah. I loved him too. I mean, I wasn't as gaga as you were because, you know, I only had room for... One major obsession. Yeah. Well, I was obsessed with Duran Duran. I was also very obsessed with the um, the Go-Go's. And Culture Club, mm-hmm. and um, well, and, then, and Madonna, and Madonna was coming up, and, and then later I became obsessed with Wham as well. So it all kind of and then blurs Depeche together. Mode and Erasure, yeah. So it was. I'd say though, for a period of about seven to ten years, let's say seven, because that's a really good Prince song. Prince was at the top of my list for most important, significant artists. Well, I would say longer than that. I remember, like, I mean, years later, when albums would come out, I remember going to the store with you, like... Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that to didn't get it, stop. You had to get it, like, the day that it came out. And I would buy it on, back in the day, I would buy the cassette of it to listen to in the car, and then buy the vinyl as well. But then when CDs came out, then I would stop getting the cassette and then just get sometimes the vinyl also, though, along with the, with the CD. Yeah. 
So, uh, and that probably lasted until the early '90s, I think, when vinyl phased out before its resurgence. But yeah, I mean, I made it my mission to like when we went to record conventions, I had to get all the import singles and variants, and I got. We should know, tell what a record what a record convention is. Record conventions were before you could buy stuff on eBay. It was basically like it you was would, before online. It was before online. Yeah, there were there would be record um, vendors. Some of them were like actual record stores, but they're it's almost like traveling carny folk. Yeah. And it's it's all like a flea market, but it's yeah. all music related. And it would always be like in the ballroom of a hotel and you had to pay a couple dollars to get into it. And then you would just walk around to all these different vendors because they would all like specialize in different things. And that's how we got some of our coolest, most collectible things. That's why we had such great record collections. Well, including the the top prize that I ever got my hands on at one of the record conventions was the import CD of The Family, which is the Prince Side Project group from 1985, which has never been released in America, and it's I think it's out of print. Yeah. That's my most coveted Prince-related possession. In fact, I love that album so much, and it is perfect as it as it performed by the um, artists in the family. But I know that there has to be recordings that Prince did of those songs, and I would just absolutely love to. I'm pretty hear that. sure it's it's Prince does most a lot of the music. Yeah, but I like to hear uh, him singing all the songs that are yeah, on there. That was the original album that Nothing Compares to You was on. Right. Well, we talked about her. this on our top right. albums. Right. So, but um, the family sort of formed after the time broke up, which the time was with Morris Day, obviously, and they were sort of a Prince protege, a splinter group. Well, his um, fiance at the time, Susanna Melvine who is the twin sister of Wendy, of Wendy and Lisa from Prince's band, The Revolution, was in the family, along with St. Paul Peterson, who was a former member of the time. And Scott, um, basically Scott ripped off St. Paul's look. I co-opted his look with like the frosted hair and stuff like that. He wanted to be St. Paul so bad. Yeah, if you just look up Google St. Paul 1985 or St. Paul the, the family, family and you'll see like my role model at the time. Well, the cover of the album, which is St. Paul and Susanna, like you how pay, many How many you, pictures of me are there where I'm posed like him? You look exactly <laughs> like him. So It's pretty scary. I'm friends with St. Paul on Facebook. Well, you sent me his... Um, post that he put out yeah. the day Prince died and I burst into tears when I read that in fact not to get sad again but this is just something like I didn't I was in shock I mean when you find out something like this happens you're just in it's like denial you hope it's not true well we had heard that he'd been hospitalized the week before right so we knew that maybe something was up and then um, Scott was at work on Thursday and he uh, he's, doesn't really get on the internet when he's at work. And I had um, read that um, there had been a fatality at Paisley Park, 
but they hadn't said who it was. So I sent that to Scott in a text, and then... Within about an hour, it had been confirmed by his publicist. And I, I didn't want Scott to find out. I didn't want you to find out. Like, I'm talking to our audience. I'm talking to you. I didn't want you to find out. From someone else from or someone, someone at work. I didn't something. want someone at work to just come flippantly say what had happened. I just I, I just had to yeah. blurt out and tell you what happened. But I told you in a text. And... Because I knew how you were going to react. I didn't know I was going to react in such a way. I really, um, I was listening to his music. It was streaming on the Apple Beats radio station. And just different songs would come on from different points in his career. And my eyes just started filling with tears. And I had to go to the bathroom a couple times. It was really strange. I mean, I was appreciating everything that he meant to me and it was all just flooding in all at one time it was really crazy and i'm sure that's happened to his fans all over the world oh yeah and it was just um incredible the outpouring of emotion from everyone like on facebook um I mean, yeah, you know I'm not active on Facebook, but I had to post some things, including yeah. a picture of a replica of the guitar that he had in Purple Rain. I put that yeah. on my Facebook. Just everyone was just so upset. So, But we have his music. We will always have his music, and he will live forever. And we through. have his movies. I mean, he's made the most, arguably the most classic rock pop film of all time, Purple Rain. And his contribution in that arena can't be argued really it can't right. i mean he was that was such a groundbreaking thing for an artist of color to come out with a movie that crossed over so many boundaries in society and it's not a movie that's going to change the world by what it says but it was a movie it, that made a statement it, it, it was entertained such a, so many people it, it entertained our generation you know i mean it was such an important film for people in our generation, I don't really know anybody that didn't see it. I mean, whether you liked it or not. It's just a perfect time capsule of that period. It really is. And even though, like, when we watch it now, like, little the, the one mistake, the, the glaring mistake that's in the movie that we always point out, you know, when Apollonia's hair, when after she... <laughs> she purifies herself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Which but that, is, ain't, that ain't Lake Minnetonka. And then she's all wet and she gets on the back of his motorcycle. And then when they drive off, her hair is completely dry and styled. Yeah. And we always like to point that out because it's so funny. There's lots of little things. I mean, I listened to the commentary by the director, Albert Magnoli, on, that, on Purple Rain. And that was his first feature film. And that was obviously the first on-camera film performance by a lot of those people because they were, you know, musicians. But I think everyone did a competent job, and Prince did a really good job in it and never crossed over into any kind of amateurish type of acting, I don't think. I think he really did portray himself in the best possible light for the story he wanted to tell. And won an Oscar. That's right. Um, And his other... Not an acting Oscar, but... (laughs) Yeah, well, we could, yeah. Yeah. It's just enough to say he won an Oscar. It was for best, yeah, best original song. Yeah. Um, but then his follow-up feature is not widely appre- um, appreciated. But you know, at the time, it was a big bomb, and it was very poorly reviewed, but it has aged well. 
people really like Under I the love, Cherry Moon. I love Under the Cherry Moon. And it's so funny. It has such heart. Um, I think he may have gotten a little bit more ambitious than what he could pull off in that movie. But it is what it is. It's a beautiful looking movie. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas is good in it. It's probably the only movie I want to watch her in. <laughs> and yeah. um, there's some very poignant moments in that. And then the, the music is, that's really like from my favorite period of Prince is like from Purple Rain and going into Around the World in a Day and then Parade, the soundtrack from Under the Cherry Moon. And then his next album, which is tied with my favorite um, Sign of the Times, that whole period of Prince is just like he could do no wrong. It was fantastic. Yes. So I should tell my kiss story. Oh, yes. Well, it's, it's your kiss story, too. So I had gone over to your house to pick you up. I'm sure we were probably going shopping or to a movie probably. or something. And you were in the bathroom, I'm guessing, arranging your hair a la St. Paul from the family. Um, you were very notorious for taking a long time on your hair you would spray your hair so it was crispy. Yeah, I could hard. lift up part of my bangs and the whole my whole hair would move like a helmet. So I was sitting in the driveway and you were taking too long and um, on came the radio on the radio was Kiss and it was the very first time I had heard it. And you got in the car when there was like about five seconds of the song left. And I said, well, if you would have been out here on time, you would have heard Prince's new song, which I have now heard before you. Mm. And you just like shook your hands up in the air. So, and I thought, well, maybe this will teach him to be on time. No. Yeah. No. And now I can just look up anything on demand. But yeah, in those days you had to wait for something to play on the radio unless you had the cassette or... And it wasn't out yet. It was probably, it came out like a week or two later after that. That Well, that was a time when they used to release a single sometimes a month before an album yeah, came out. The, or there wouldn't even be the 45. A single, like the first single from an album, usually almost always came out before the album did. So you could get the 45 or the later, the cassette single. but Or the 12-inch when that came out. Mm-hmm. Which we got all that stuff. So I want to talk about when I saw Prince live, or when we saw Prince live, but I've seen Prince four times, and the first time I saw him was in 1985, it was on April Fool's Day, and he played at Market Square Arena here in Indianapolis, and it was like at the height of my appreciation for Prince, and it was just like seeing everything that happened in the movie live in front of you, although it was the farthest away I'd ever been to see a concert in my life. I was not there because it was during spring break. I was at my grandma and grandpa's. Receiving um, cassettes and, and records from your grandma every shopping trip you'd make to Washington Square? At the Camelot Music at, yeah, Washington Square. Not Lyric Records? They didn't have Lyric not Records Not National there. Record Mart? They didn't have that there either, I don't think. It was called something. They had two record stores there. One was Camelot Music. Musicland. Was there Musicland? No. It was something that I think eventually turned into National Record Mart, but I forget what it was called at the time. It wasn't as good as Camelot Music, but I remember that was the week that I got... Um, it was when Lamal had left Kajagoogoo, and he released his first 
solo album, and then Kajagugu released their first album without him when they were just called Kaja. I got both of those cassettes. They came out like the same week, which was weird. And then um, I also got Alison Moyer's first solo album on cassette, Alf, that week. And no, I remember listening. No relation to the TV show Puppet? None. It was before. I know. And um, I, I remember listening to those a lot that week. And I remember being very envious that you were at the Prince concert, but I loved going to my grandparents, so that was fine too. But yeah. Well, then years later, we um, got to see him. Our friend Annette went with us, and we went to see Prince and the NPG, which was his group at the time, out at Deer Creek in 1997. It was very challenging to get the tickets. Well, yeah, in fact, I've got the program from when we saw that show. And it says, instructions, all the following conditions must you met in order to claim your tickets. Um, I see, like a month before, whenever the tickets went on sale, I went and bought them. And I gave them, like, they made a copy of my driver's license, I think. And I signed this stuff and I got, like, a slip, like a validation Prince was trying to combat, like, Um, scalping. uh, Scalping, yes. Which is, again, like his streaming stuff. Uh, and YouTube and all that stuff, his fights against that is admirable, but it does create a very frustrating experience for the fans. A lot of, a lot of hoops to jump but, through. Yeah, so anyway, when we got to Deer Creek, I had to show my photo ID and the, the ticket receipt. And then it said, like, no ID equals no tickets, no receipt equals no tickets. And uh, it says, your tickets should be picked up at Deer Creek Box Office between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. on the evening of June 22nd, 1997. Once you have claimed your tickets, you must enter the venue immediately. So, I mean, that was a good thing for, again, for the the scalping thing, but it was such a pain in the ass. And that show was not as as fantastic for me as seeing Purple Rain. It was the only time I've seen him, and I have to say, I did not. I didn't enjoy it. Well, in that phase of his career with uh, the NPG, I don't know, they just went into a lot of different directions that... I didn't respond to as well. And like, remember that one song called Face Down? And it was like a 10 minute jam session. It was like, Face Down, just like Elvis, Face Down. And, and you were just. I don't remember, but I just remember <laughs> none of this, none of the songs sounded, they were all different arrangements, which as an artist, he has every right to do. Cause I'm sure it gets boring playing the same songs over and over again. And he was such a musical genius anyway, but it was not. He just didn't. It just wasn't. Uh, he didn't play what you were familiar with and what you wanted to hear, which right. is unfortunate. I remember the last time I saw him, it was on his tour for Musicology, I think, in two thousand four. Was that the one in the round that yes. you and Vicky went? Well, see, I got I the concert that I saw was I was so unentertained at that concert that I chose not to go to that concert. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that you didn't go see him because he was amazing on that show. And it was a very, I guess, pure is the most apt word to use for it because it was just him sitting on like a stool and playing a guitar and then going over and playing the piano. And I don't even, I don't remember how many backup people he had that maybe came out. I think it was mostly just him. It was a very intimate feeling, even though I was in a giant, you know, sports stadium seeing him. Right. And I'm so glad I got to see that show. Well, I'm glad you got to see it too. Yeah. Um, I know he was just performing as, you know, short as like one week before his death. And um, apparently there's supposed to be a live album that comes out. Yeah. 
from that. I so. mean, he'd been making plans. He never stopped working. I mean, he has that vault that he's referred to many times, and he's made some releases of, of content that's come out that's probably just the tip of the iceberg on stuff that he has in there. And I have a feeling that he had very specific plans written for in the case of his death of what's to become of all that content and hopefully we'll find out what's going to happen right uh, the one in the near future the big thing i'm i'm curious about is you know he made up with warner brothers records which is where he got his start and then he famously you know put slave on his cheek and protested working for them and um, got out of his contract in like 1996 i think and then went back to them, though they, they made an arrangement in 2014 that he would get all the rights of the um, songwriting and the master recordings of his work that he'd done for them. So they basically kissed and made up, and he said, you know, I don't hold any ill will towards them, life's too short for them, that sort of thing. And they were going to begin the process of doing remastered deluxe versions of his catalog. Starting with Purple Rain. Which they were going to do that for the 30th anniversary, which was in 1984, so that would have been in 2014, and it hasn't appeared yet. So I have hope that maybe this will expedite things, and it's unfortunate circumstances. I'd rather him be here doing more music and living on for, you know, ever in in the perfect world, but at least we can maybe take consolation in the fact that more stuff is going to come from him. Yesterday, I was up at um, that record store I like to go to up in Castleton that has all the used CDs and video games and everything, yeah. and I saw several people in there walking around holding print CDs. And I was like, oh, of course. I remember during my record store days, um, it was weird how, like, when somebody, someone famous would die uh, and people would just come in and buy all their music. I remember uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan when he died. I hadn't heard that he had died, but I had sold so many copies of like a some Stevie Ray Vaughan album. And I was like, what's the deal? Is he dead or something? And they were like, yes, he died. I was like, oh. Sorry. It's kind of sad, though, that it's it takes death to get people to, you know, want to own the music. It's like, I why? I mean, obviously, that's not how everyone operates, but... Just because someone dies, it doesn't mean that their music suddenly is interesting. And it, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, the, yeah, the the commercial side of it is going to capitalize on that, and that's unfortunate. But for the the fans like me out there, this is hopefully you turn a horrible th thing into a positive thing where you get more of the person that you really admired and appreciated. Right, and because work. he he recorded. A they say that he recorded, like, every day. Well, he had in his um, home and studios, Paisley Park, which is outside of uh, Minneapolis and Minnesota, he had every room wired to be able to record from. So he had, obviously, like, a couple of main studio spaces with mix boards, but he could literally plug in inst any instrument and microphone in any room he was at if the mood struck him, and he would call an engineer and be like, go set up, I'm going to record, and I'm going to, you know, do it on the second floor atrium or something like that. That's just the kind of guy he was. That's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. And I, I, I hope so much that his fans are able to hear the fruits of all of his labor at some point. I mean, there's enough stuff that 
new albums could be released for years. And I hope they are. I hope they are. I don't think it's and I don't think it's a case of when someone is like a artist and they release stuff and it's just like outtakes and things like that that are just like they're squeezing out every last bit to make money. I really truly believe that Prince has more fantastic classic um, songs that have never ever seen the light of day and I hope that we're able to at least get some of those out there. I think we will. Yeah. Starfish and coffee, maple jam, butterscotch clouds, tangerine, If you set your mind free, maybe you understand. Starfish and coffee, maple jam. So, yeah, I mean, I could name a, just a run through a list of all his songs and stuff that are my favorites, but there's no real reason to because I, even the, the albums that he maybe put out in the last 10 or 15 years that don't have as many songs that I responded to as back in the 80s and 90s, they're all Prince, and I appreciate and celebrate everything that he ever put out there. I do too. I mean, I have my favorites, and like we said you know i i love all the the 80s stuff i i really like a lot of his earlier stuff before purple rain a lot the stuff that kind of had a, a new wave well yeah like when you were talking about the new wave stuff that album dirty mind in 1980 is mind-blowing in how progressive it was at the time and for, same with the, vanity six which is basically prince with a girl group, basically, girl group. that he, he did their music. That's, that's like a really good new wave album. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like touches of R&B here and there in it, but it's basically like a just a new wave pop kind of a album. That's the thing about him; he could span, so versatile span, span the map of all different genres of music. I mean, you know, he even composed music for a ballet. Yep. So he's done it all. Pet Shop Boys did that too. Well, did you know that Duran Duran are writing a musical? Really? They are. Well, that's interesting. Is David Lynch going to direct it? No. He's not. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, Is there any kind of a Twin Peaks-Prince connection? I'm glad you asked me that, Kevin, because Prince, during the late 80s, dated Twin Peaks vixen Sherilyn Fenn, who played Audrey Hill. I just told you that, and then you backed it up. Well, I also remember it from back in the day. But I made you remember it. Yeah, well, thanks for making me remember that. He also dated Kim Basinger. And Ingrid Chavez, and uh, apparently some girl whose name was Anna Fantastic. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> Anna Fantastic. Um, some of these names are probably made up, but he I, did he date Sheena Easton, or were they just... I don't know. I think they just had a professional working relationship. He, I loved that song, 101. Oh, from her album? Yeah, that yeah. was fantastic. But remember when we saw um, her in concert... 
101 was her current single. She didn't do it. She didn't do it. That was so weird. I remember I got up so close I stood up next to the stage like in a mosh pit of Sheena Easton fans and I touched her fishnet clad leg. It was very exciting. Do you want me to do the beginning of the concert? Oh yeah, do do, do this. So this is how Sheena Easton's concert started. You heard a phone ring and it was like an answering machine was picking it up. And she goes, hi, this is Sheena Easton. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm having a party in Indianapolis. That was an awesome show. Yeah. Wasn't that during the week that we saw, we saw like Sheena Easton, Millie, Millie Vanilli, Vanilli, and B-52s within a week. Yeah. Or, or maybe two weeks, but it was a very short time. Yeah. That was fun. It's so weird how many concerts we used to go to. And like, it's been, I think the last concert I went to was um, Pet Shop Boys up in Chicago. In 2013. I can't remember yeah. the last concert I saw. We just don't go. Well, the groups and acts that we like rarely come here to Indianapolis. Duran right. Duran are on tour right now, but they're not coming to Indianapolis. Shame on them. I know. Well, you've and seen them how many times? A dozen? I've seen them many times. And I just, I've said this before... I'm not on tour, so I'm not going to another You city. come to me. I pay you money. You perform for me. Yeah. That's what I said. So, but anyway. Well, what else do we want to say about Prince? Is there anything else? I mean. Well, I'd like to talk about how some of his B-sides are, like, better than, like, album songs. Oh, my all-time, one of my all-time favorite songs by Prince is a B-side, and it's called How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Seventeen days. Been Seventeen days. Seventeen long nights. Main drag is no regret. You're holding someone else tight. And Erotic City, which is huge. That's a yeah. fantastic song. I, I don't, it was a B-side, but it's on an album, um, but I really like Housequake. No, Housequake was actually on Sign of the Times. That's what I just said. It was on an album, but it was also a oh, B-side. Oh, you're just calling, I see what you're yeah. doing. Question, does anybody know about the quake? I should tell my um, sign of the time story. Okay. Do you remember this story? Buying the, getting the... Um... So I was babysitting, not for 
the family that I normally babysat for. It was for a different family. And it was during the day, and I was talking to Scott on the phone. Probably should have been paying attention to the children, but it was not like they were babies or something. They were just off playing. And it was the day that Sign of the Times came out, and Scott wanted to know when I was going to be done because we had to go get Sign of the Times. So they had like a desk at, in their kitchen, and I wasn't being nosy or anything, but I was just sitting there, and there was a paper. I remember. There was a paper right there on top, and it was pre-surgery recommendations or what to do before you have a vasectomy. So the mom went off to go somewhere else. The dad was having a vasectomy. And when he he was the one that was going to come home. So I, I, I was reading all the stuff that you had to do over the phone to Scott. And you're like, stop it, stop it. I'm going to faint. I'm going to pass out. And um, so the dad came home and he was walking extremely carefully. I can't believe he was actually walking. And, and I was like, all I could do to like not like, you know, laugh at him. Like, I know why you're walking that way. And... Um, yeah, it was just like they just had it right sitting out so everyone could see it. Maybe they should have shown the kids to have them memorize it so in case they forgot any of the steps, they, the kids could have advised what to do. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I had a good laugh over that. and uh, At someone else's expense. And then we went and got Sign of the Times. Loved it. So if you don't have any of Prince's albums, I mean, I know, like Kevin had mentioned before, the um, greatest hits that came out, like, I don't know, in the early 2000s is a really good place to start. But I think the best representation of Prince, like to really get who he was as a creative force. Clearly Purple Rain. Is Purple Rain, 1999. Parade. Parade, Sign of the Times. And then I would say... Controversy. Dirty Mind. Well, we're naming all of his early albums. And I really enjoyed the album from 1999 he put out called Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic. Which which is the album that has that song that I love that I melt with, I want to melt with you? That's from the Symbol album, which was the um, combination of the male and female signs that Prince adopted as his name when he had his contract or uh, disputes with Warner Records. And um, yeah, that album also had seven... My name is Prince, and who could forget Sexy MF? You sexy motherfucker! Oh, yeah. Which is the one that has pussy control? Because I like to sing that to my cats. That's from The Gold Experience. Pussy control! Are you ready? Everybody's looking for graffiti, bitch! Thank you, Mavis Staples. <laughs> His compilation album, uh, 
Crystal Ball, which came out in 1998. Remember what a pain that was for me to get that because it wasn't going to be available in stores. And it was mm-hmm. a three-disc set, and I had to order it. I think I called like a 1-800 number to yeah. order it. And then they couldn't guarantee when it was going to come out. Then I got charged for and it. And then years later, you could get it for $5 on clearance at Target. Well, don't say that. But <laughs> before that, though, I remember, though, it started showing up in stores, and my pre-order still hadn't been filled. And I paid for oh. it. And they also said it's only going to be available this way. So that was kind of frustrating. But in the end, when I finally got my hands on it, it was really good because it had lots of those outtakes and um, things that were on bootlegs that were actually officially released in really good and one of my one of my favorite all-time print songs is good love from the soundtrack of bright lights big city and that's also on that crystal ball set it's basically it's like a box set without the box he never actually had, like, a big official box set of any kind, did he? No, not yet. Because, well, yeah, not yet. But I, don't um, e- but I don't even know if they really do box sets. They, I mean, they may for him. They don't really do them anymore. I could see some sort of big set that includes remastered versions of his albums and special liner notes. I mean, I think they're going to do... Because they, they do stuff like that, like they've done it for... Fleetwood Mac has had like some of their albums come well, out again, would, and uh, Pink Floyd. It would be nice if they did something like what they did for Duran Duran when they reissued. There's like the two box sets that have all the original singles, but they're on CD. But they replicated the the packaging, the sleeves for each single. They could do that for Prince. Yeah, people would love that. I mean, they've done it. Bananarama did it. Belinda Carlisle's done it. Well, if they've done it, Prince, they could definitely do that for Prince. Yeah.
I'm sure we're going to see some nice things come. Something good come out of this. Yeah, come I into mean, the marketplace. So. He was such a positive person. Like we were watching an interview with him with Larry King, and he was so. He he seemed like even though he was like you could tell there were elements like he knew he was a badass he knew he was the shit he also seemed humble at the same time he seemed very normal as opposed to when he was on the Rosie O'Donnell show years before and it like he just hadn't done a whole lot of interviews at that time or ever yeah he notoriously didn't do a lot he of seemed interviews. you could tell he was just really um nervous and Rosie was nervous too because she was such a big fan and at that time he wasn't using the name Prince he was going by the artist the formerly artist known. formerly known as Prince so she called him Taff Cap and called him Taffy for short and he wasn't charmed by that at all I know what we need to talk about that black and white interview that was on MTV when Under the Cherry Moon came out and he said one of the <laughs> one of my most favorite things that we've been quoting for years. In fact, I just put it on your grocery list that's on a dry erase chalkboard in your kitchen. Oh, I didn't even look at that yet. Yeah. He was like like he was being interviewed and he's like, "What do you need? What's the most important thing that you need?" And Prince thought about it for a second. He's like, "I need air, water, and love." I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. And and maybe some Doritos, because he loved Doritos. I don't think he said Doritos, but I know he loved Doritos. Although, that's, I bet he didn't eat Doritos in the last few years since he was vegan and was very oh, yeah. health conscious. I remember reading that he loved Doritos and um, strawberries. Mm-hmm. And chocolate dip strawberries. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the end of our discussion of Prince. I guess it is. It's hard to imagine a world without him out there. Just even when you don't know if when he was going to record something new, you always were prepared to be surprised and amazed by something he could put out there. And that's unfortunately no longer the case. All we have is everything he's done up to that point. But when you look at what he's done, it's overwhelming. I'm sure that there are still a lot of surprises left from him. Yeah. We haven't heard the last. No. I don't think we ever will. Probably not. So anyway, thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at I'm so sure podcast. And I'm on facebook.com slash I'm so sure podcast. And if people want to hashtag, on Instagram, anything related to I'm So Sure Podcast, where can they do that? Hashtag I'm So Sure Podcast. Well, I think I just answered my own question, didn't I? I think you did. And until next time, this is Scott Benson. This is Kevin Kelly. May you live to see the dawn. Again. 
Sometimes it snows in Love, it isn't love until it's past. 